Welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast. We have got a special guest with us on this episode to discuss the subject film. Dutch, the 1991 Peter Feynman film starring Ed O'Neill and Ethan Randall. It's a road trip movie John, about a blue John, collar John, 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 stop. What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, you're right, Chris. You're right. I'm sorry. He goes by Ethan Embry these days, not Ethan Randall. So I apologize for that error. Anyway, Dutch is the heartwarming <laughs> tale. Um, John, I'm not in favor of your joke intro. What are we really doing today? <laughs> what we're really doing today is we're talking about the new Clint Eastwood movie, which again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I hope we can say for many more years, the new Clint Eastwood movie. And who else would we want to talk to this movie about but our good friend, filmmaker Bill Tech, who is here to join us. Welcome, sir. I am thrilled to be here. Uh, I feel like a resident um, Clint Eastwood expert. You guys had me on and we talked about... I think we, I know uh, we talked about um, Richard Jewell. Yeah. That was a wonderful conversation. And I was actually talking about John with this before the episode. I had remembered it as that you came and talked about the mule, but you didn't. We saw the mule together, me and you at Kipps Bay and 34th Street. And then you didn't end up doing the episode because you got ill. But so to me, this is our third Eastwood episode we're doing with you, even though that's not literally <laughs> technically true in the sense of we haven't recorded three. I feel like we did another one. We talked a lot about Clint. I don't remember why, but I know we did one where we also talked a lot about Clint. So I feel very Clint-centric on this show. You said great and insightful things when we did the Richard Jewell one. That was excellent. I yeah, thought. that was a ton of fun. I wish you had been on the Mule one because that, that, I mean, I guess we can revisit it because this one sort of ties into the Mule in a lot of ways. This is sort of a the one we're going to be talking about today, which is Cry Macho, the new film. It's sort of... Weird, weirdly related to it. So I didn't need to watch um, that movie with Ed O'Neill that I watched. <laughs> you Dutch? too, you're I didn't need to watch too, but you love the experience though, right? I can't believe you're encouraging John's worst tendency that I have to intervene in this way to end with the Dutch jokes. So this, so the movie we're talking about today, John, you'll take us through the plot because it's basically Dutch, right? That's what we're talking about today. Clint Eastwood's Cry Macho, a.k.a. Dutch 2, Dutch Kills. Or Midnight Run, if you like, you know, whatever. (laughs) Uh, But the book that this is based on predates both of those movies. So we're not talking ripoff here. We're just talking kind of, you know, that sort of formula story about a man who is sent to to collect somebody and, and bring him somewhere. I mean, that's just sort of as simple as it gets. In this movie, the plot really couldn't be more kind of uh, straightforward in a lot of ways. I mean, it's Clint Eastwood is a former rodeo star who is working for Dwight Yoakam, who runs a ranch and a rodeo and is clearly kind of like a a sleazy, right, sort of sketchy kind of business guy. But he wants Clint to go down to Mexico and pick up his son who lives with the he lives with his mother and uh, bring him back. He hasn't seen his son in something like 10 years. The boy is 13 or so now. And he tells Clint, I really just want him back. I want to, you know, bond with them. Tell him to come up here. We got a horse for him. We got a whole ranch. Anything he wants, you know, I want to bond with my son. So go down and, and bring him back. And I have reason to think he's being abused in Mexico as well. That his mom is hanging out with sleazy dudes in some way. Right. So, so, so Clint, who's uh, by the way playing a character named uh, uh, playing a character named Mike Milo, goes down and meets the meets the boy and then they have this kind of journey going back up towards the border which is you know kind of complicated for various reasons but 
um, the first thing I wanted to say about this movie that really someone on Twitter mentioned that has not been publicized at all. I mean, there have been like no ads. There's been not a lot of hype the way you would expect for a Clint Eastwood movie. And indeed, the only way I found out about it was I was actually reading about the author and Richard Nash, who wrote the book in 1975, which is a novelization because he wrote it originally as a screenplay. And this is not my, you know, trying to force anything on it. This is a quote from N. Richard Nash. He said, I had a screenplay called Macho that no one wanted. It occurred to me to do a quick novelization. I got $10,000 advance and completed it as Cry Macho in two weeks. It got surprisingly good reviews and the instant they appeared, three studios, all of which had rejected the screenplay, started to bid for this awful little thing. I sold the rights to one. When they asked me to do the screenplay, I gave them what they had rejected. Didn't change a word. And they loved it. So that's oh. kind of the delicious background of this. I tried to get a copy of the book to read beforehand, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, so I'm not sure how close uh, the finished movie, the Clint Eastwood movie, ended up being. I know he did get his usual screenwriter to come in and do a new version of it. So, But that's the plot. Uh, Bill, let me just get your kind of initial impressions of it, of this film, after you uh, after you watched it. Well, I really, I really liked it. I liked it more than I than I thought I would like it. You know, it's pre- I hope it's clear that I'm a I'm a Clint Eastwood fan. Um, and I've I've been on tear in the past year. I've watched all these kind of true life movies that he's done. You know, whether it was Richard Jewell or I think it's the three ten to Paris or some three. It's a weird number. It's like five seventeen. I always get five seventeen. I'm like, why is that? That's a weird <laughs> number. Um, or Sully, or you know, I've been having a great time with these kind of Audie Murphy true life adventure things that he's been doing yeah. um, and which we got into it during Richard Jewell. And then, you know, Let me lesser... ask you right away, why did you think you weren't going to like this movie that much? Because what was publicized was the poster with him looking like Bill Money from uh, uh, Unforgiven. You know, they made him look like grizzled. He's got the cowboy hat. It looks like it's going to be your standard. It's called Cry Macho. Sounds like it's going to be a standard sort of Eastwood gritty shoot em up sort of scenario what did you what, why did you instinct that you wouldn't like it when you first went into it i think that um you know i i i kind of didn't think it was going to be that i thought it was going to be more in the vein of gran torino which i liked very much but i i it subverted everything that i expected and i think that's why people will enjoy it i think it'll sub, subvert what they're whatever they're expecting to bring to it um i had a buddy that you know when you see something like um gran torino he plays the same kind of crusty old character that he, it's a cool movie. I love that movie, but he, you know, he's got to come around to a way of thinking and all the things that you expect are going to happen as he comes around. And in the mule, you know, he doesn't have to come around very much. It takes a little nudge and he's like, yeah, I'm running drugs, you know, no problem. <laughs> so it's got like some cool things to say about ageism and what are your options when you're elderly and what do you have to lose? You know? So they're, they're kind of very frank in many ways and i i thought this was going to be much more that character the character that has to learn a lesson has to be, become not racist he's going to go to mexico and he's going to learn that oh this guy's the salt of the earth and he's a nice guy but he's going to start out very um antagonistic towards the kid and it's going to take a lot to get the kid on his side and i just was like oh, okay we're gonna have to get through all that and it surprised me i don't want to ruin anything but i think the movie unfolds in an unexpected way i we always, you know, we always assume on the show that people have seen the movie beforehand so don't worry about ruining anything i know chris is not a it does not subscribe to the spoiler school <laughs> of things i've 
heard this argument many times. Um, but, I, you know, um, you know, I think it subverts a lot of the things that you think it's going to bring to it. You think it's going to be this grizzled old guy and he's got to come around to understand and accept the young Mexican kid and the Mexican kid's going to be very antagonistic towards Clinton. I just wanted to get through that and get to, like, see some cool acting, see some cool storytelling. Um, but it didn't, it didn't do that at all. It totally subverted what I was expecting. And um, I have some thoughts about the prologue. It was kind of, it kind of opens twice, mm. uh, but I'd like to see what you guys thought of the movie. Well, I like what you said. It, it was not what you expected. I mean, I think that's kind of the main thing here. I think that's what's drawing the most negative reactions on this movie is that people are expecting it to be a certain thing. Maybe not necessarily like the typical kind of Clint Eastwood Western, but more like, people are not going to be ready for just sort of the pace and tone that this movie adapts right away. And it made me realize thinking back to his last few films and especially the ones he stars in, which I think is a whole separate thing. Yeah. Really. The, the Clint Eastwood movie starring Clint Eastwood, that he has really set the pace of these films to his age. So this film has an extremely deliberate pace that I was completely entranced by. And it's the pace of a 91 year old protagonist, you know, a guy that like, you know, is just very slowly going through the story and everything is just syncing up with him. And I thought, I don't know, personally, I really, really got into that. I felt it was really magical sort of way to make a movie. So I was, I was instantly, I, Chris, what did you think? I, I think I had a little, I liked, this movie, but I think I had a little bit more complicated reaction to it than you guys did. When I was when I was watching this movie, this is the first movie where his his age felt like a problem in some way to me. Uh, even in the Mule, which is about an old guy, I think it works because he's supposed to be an old guy. That story is about an old guy and sort of the older and more decrepit he is, the more it makes the story interesting. And when it moves to those rhythms, I think that's good. And Richard Jewell, I like as much as I like any of the movies he's directed this century. You know, it's probably up there with, with Letters to Iwo Jima as like my favorite directed Clint Eastwood movies uh, in the past 20 years. So he hasn't lost it then, but he's not in that one. With this one, I kept, he's, he's so, he feels so old in it. And William Goldman, I was actually thinking about, I think it's William Goldman. I was racking my brains to remember where I read this. Uh, has a, a, uh, he's talking about how your script interacts with casting, right? And he's saying that there's a uh, story about this guy who was like a 90-year-old bank robber, right? And you write your script for that about this 90-year-old bank robber. And then you're going to go to the studios and the studio is going to say, why don't you cast Clint Eastwood in this role? He's 70, because this is like 20 years ago, William Goldman's writing this piece, right? And he says, but that will ruin this movie because 70 is very different than 90, right? And the script about a 90-year-old bank robber, you can't put Al Pacino and 65-year-old old man makeup and have it be the same thing. You really need to get an old guy. And watching it this time, I was really thinking like, 90 is really fucking old. You can't pretend he's 65 in this movie. You can't pretend he's even 80 in this movie. You know, like he is is so unequivocally, irrevocably an old man in this film in a way that that doesn't even feel, even since The Mule two years ago, he feels even older than that. And I think just you get to a certain age 
and and you just can't have him punch somebody he's just it doesn't you can't do it anymore you know and he just he like his pants don't fit he's got like old man pants in this movie and stuff and i think it's not i still really like this movie uh because it is like slow moving and gentle and and sort of incidents free and sort of um it's almost like story free it's got that very basic story that you know is going to happen of he's going to pick up the kid they're not really going to get along then they're going to get along and he's sort of going to find this this old man who has no place in the world is going to find a new place for himself in the world based on this road trip that he does with the kid like you know that's what's going to happen and it really doesn't feel the need to embellish much beyond that and it he's takes the, he's not going to run around with sitting off fireworks to charm the kid or anything like that yeah that it, it really does it does all of those the notes of that very simple story in a very simple straightforward way and there's and there's really no urgency to it i mean there's a little bit of the mother's hired goon pursuing them you know, but 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 that's that's very inconsequential kind of stuff. The majority of it, it's like them hanging out, you know, and that's what I found fascinating about it. Yeah, I mean, so I, I like it, but but like, they're, they're doesn't obvious, he feel too fucking old? To you there guys? are obvious moments where the age is, you know, ridiculous, like where he's being seduced by the telenovela actress playing the kid's mother, you know, who is super sexy and obviously young, and you know, you think it's I completely am absurd. That's just sort of continuing Clint's thing of like. Hispanic women find me irresistible, which you'll find all the way back to the rookie, you know? But um, I don't know. I Those moments are ridiculous, but I think the way it sets this movie structurally is what's great about it. And exactly what you were saying, how it's such a stripped-down thing where there are basically just the most bare incidents without conflict is would not work in a movie, you know, with a regular person, but it's funny to hear you tell the Goldman anecdote and think about something like... Um, I can't remember the the Robert Redford last bank robber movie. Yeah. And something like that where, you know, there's like all this nostalgia and, you know, idea of like, oh, this 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 person who obviously had has a long career and has like a long story career as a bank robber and as by definition a movie star, uh, by extension a movie star. But then there's nothing, it doesn't matter to the movie itself. I mean, it doesn't actually affect the way the movie is, the story is told. Yeah. I think here it absolutely does. What did you think about uh, the age tech? Well, it's funny you said uh, you mentioned the scene um, with uh, F- Fernanda Urrejola, yeah. um, which I think her name is Leta, and she's kind of throwing herself at him. <laughs> it reminded me of the um, the scene in Reds when they're doing the play that Jack Reed and Eugene O'Neill have written and she's like I'm giving you my body my body that men have found so sexy <laughs> to you uh, and it just was so silly like I was like oh you're kidding me the punching thing didn't bother me because you know even in the re- even in the good reviews they're like he rides a horse and he punches a guy yeah. and you know I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have 91 year old people in my life they're awesome I don't think they're knocking anybody out though I thought it handled the physical altercation sort of well but I you know I do a lot of willing disbelief you know I, I also think that the dinosaur figured out how to open the door in Jurassic Park so yeah but I don't even not necessarily not even necessarily just the fighting and horse riding like when he goes to get money to pay the bill he pays it like a really fucking old man well you let know? me 
but the, the, we watched the mule together and yeah. what struck me about the mule was the way he shot himself like the way he'd shoot the skin hanging off himself yeah. and off his arms and he did not cut that in a flattering way he, he cut it in an unflattering way yeah and i thought he went out of his way i don't know if he went out of his way to do it but he certainly didn't get in his own way to not do it he was like this is what it is and then in this movie and then yet in the mule, he gets seduced, right? When he goes to deliver the drugs, he has like yeah. a threesome with some, yeah. and I think those girls are with like working the motel, girls, right? Like <laughs> prostitutes. And I was like, okay, that's weird. You know, hey, hey. And then in this movie, that scene with Fernanda uh, was a little odd to me. I think you could have taken that out of the movie. It would have made a lot more sense. The physical altercation didn't really bother me. As far as the age thing, Again, I was just struck by, in, instead of being so like, wow, he is really old. That I was already on that train with the mule, like, wow, he's old and this is about being old. I was just like, look how gentle it is because yeah. he's not like yeah. the grisly old guy. Like when him and the kid get along, again, I feel bad, right? It just came out. So there's spoilers. I know you don't believe in him, but I felt bad. I kept expecting okay, now they're not going to get along. They're going to have a fight. And the kid's like, yeah, all right, sure. They just have dinner. I'll, I'll come to California. He doesn't have to like kidnap him and have a shootout. And I was like, it kept subverting what I thought was going to happen when the goons are after him. He just kind of goes around them. And even at the end, when he kind of turns the tables on the guy and, and is able to get the piece away from him, I didn't find it. I was kind of taken with the magic of it, you know, and the, Rooster comes down, that kid's like the falconer from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And I was like, wow, look at that rooster go. Um, I, I almost had the I was, exact opposite thought, though. Uh, I would have cut out the punch myself because this movie makes such a big deal about what macho means, right? And subverting the idea, the definition of macho. In this film, it's not macho to be stronger than another guy. It's macho to, like, know how to care for animals, right? Oh, and how to, like, and how to, like how to speak uh, uh, in sign language to a young girl. And how to like dance that. to Saborami. Yeah. Oh, my God. That, that slayed me because Saborami is one of my all-time favorite songs. I think it's I great. said... I watched I said, it. I watched this movie with my, my girlfriend who's Mexican, and she started singing along when that came on. It's just like... <laughs> I said, John, my favorite version of it, which is by Los Lobos. But I thought that him using Iri Gourmet and Triolo Pancho is yeah. the right call because that Iri Gourmet album... For you know Miami, obviously, it's not a lot of Mexican people. In Miami, they're all Cubans. So everybody over sixty-five has a copy of you know Steve Lawrence's wife, Edie Gourmet with Triolo Pancho. Everybody has that. It's like the standard. It's like you know whatever the standard, the biggest Sinatra album is. You have that. You have a Celia Cruz <laughs> album. You have Edie Gourmet with Triolo Pancho, and it's the version they use in the movie. I think they use some kind of weird re-kind re of recorded cleaned up version of it but it's still that original track um i wish it sounded older but it, it's still that classic version of it and, and i thought that was beautiful that i was a sucker for it i was take, me taken too. by it yeah, it's also was, with with, yeah. with eastwood too obviously every film it's like is this the final shot of his career right so you read that in and the final shot of his career it's them dancing in the silhouette to that song and it's like that would actually be fucking beautiful and i think would be right for him as somebody who gets portrayed as just macho meathead 
conservative, you know, when he's not, when he is, to me, he's as much Bridges of Madison County isn't like a mistake that came out of nowhere. That's him and a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? He has that flavor to him, especially as a director. I think in general, in general, he when you look at the movies he's directed, they're not Dirty Harry. You know, he's he has a different set and spectrum of interests as a director. And I think it would be I think it would be very appropriate if that were the final shot of his career, you know, in a lot of ways. That's very interesting to think about. I, I did enjoy all that, all those aspects of it, especially because you know i try not to bring politics to the movies or whatever but i know he gets attacked for his views a lot what people perceive his views to be i don't think yeah. any of us really know what he thinks but um this movie was so kind of open-hearted and not what you'd expect just like the mule was and just like grant serena was he keeps kind of saying yeah you don't know what i think this is I have, I'm complicated. I contain or, or letters from Iwo Jima. You know, it's right. incredible that he made that movie in a lot of ways. If you have, or J. Edgar, even if whatever you perceive his politics are, he sort of defies them at, a, at in a lot of turns. I think the only times he doesn't are something like, you know, American Sniper is very hard to to justify uh, in any way, especially knowing the real story of that guy who's a scumbag among scumbags. Um, but, you know, I also thought it was interesting with this movie, not to get too far off of the oldness question that he was supposed to make this in, uh, what is it? 89, whatever you 88, but he decided to make Deadpool instead. Right. Cause he felt like he wasn't Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. The Deadpool. What did I say? <laughs> yeah. The oh. Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> the Deadpool. But he, which felt was like... probably the first time people were saying Clint Eastwood was too old for something, right? Too old to play dirty Harry in 1989. <laughs> Yeah, but he felt like he wasn't 30 years ago. (laughs) I know, but I watched this and I'm like, no, he like 60, like 60 is the right age to do this story. Actually, I feel like this is a story about a guy who it doesn't matter that this character broke his back. He's 90. Whether he broke his back or not, he's not breaking wild horses anymore. You know, like that's not what you're doing. You could be the most in shape motherfucker who ever lived and never have broken your back you are not going to be breaking wild horses at 90. You're just not doing it. That's not what your life is anymore. So the idea that he used to have a definition of himself that's now gone after the injury and he realizes that the definition was stupid to begin with, you know, I think has less impact when you make him this this old in some way. I, I also think he wasn't interested in playing the thing where like, I thought of myself this way now i've had this experience this experience has changed me he's already kind of like i'm ready to change and and i i think there's something about there's a very kind of aged feeling to that to the gentleness of it i think that he could easily have been a tough clint guy even at 50 or 60 but by 90 you're like you're kind of like I think you embrace the gentler side of things just because you see how fragile life is pretty much. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but no, that I got was my same, take. I, I got agree. the same impression. Absolutely. And I saw on Twitter, somebody was saying, you know, uh, this is an action packed movie where Clint Eastwood hides from the cops by slowly walking behind a crate, you know, and it's like, you don't get it, man. That's what I love about this movie. I love that it's moments like that where like life is just kind of zipping by fast right all around you, no matter how old you are. And you're just going to set your own pace, you know, wherever you're at at any given time. I mean, it is the pace of going, that. 
it's definitely the pace of going to have pancakes with your grandkids and that should take all day yeah. <laughs> but that's awesome i like more movies like that yeah. um, i mean i'm already a slow moving uh, look, guy i'm 42 you know I, I i agree with you guys that it's interesting for those reasons my disagreement is that i don't think that's what this script is you know, I think, I, right. think I, 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 I think he made I think he made a different yeah. movie out of the script than what the script was. You know, what's funny? I, I, I would be curious to know what the movie was like if it had starred, you know, seventy-year-old Eastwood or Roy Scheider as they were going to do in the '90s, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I would have been curious to see all those takes on it. But I think just given this take, that's it. Just what I it's why I find it interesting. I, 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 and I, I'll say again, like no scene plays out the way you think it's going to play out. Yeah. literally no scene what from when the kids when the that gang of people is around him and they're going to jump him and the, the guy's saying something and every single scene you think it's going to go one way it goes another way the one thing i think was odd to me was that kind of weird fake beginning it starts mm. out there's a ton of exposition that's literally right out of austin powers basil exposition yeah and it looked like something you they used added. to be a different man and then you got your back broken and now you're not the man you were and i think it's time that you hang it up yeah it comes out exactly <laughs> like that I, I was like what and, and 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 i think they added that after i think they started with dwight coming to see him and and everything and then they were like we need this i don't know who told them they needed that that's my yeah my take because that seemed bananas to me that and the and the, the actress uh the the fernanda when she when she comes on to him and somebody else would take the punch other than those things i, I enjoyed the movie I, I really i thought i loved the score um yeah i, I would have liked it better bill before we get off it i, I would have liked it better without the prologue i think because I think the less we actually know about mike the better movie, yeah because the stuff with the dead wife and kid is not from the original. I know it's not from the original book. I don't know if, you know, it's from his screenplay, but there's all these kind of, you know, cliched sort of background things that get thrown in. And I would like to actually know less about him. I think that his, you know, character is just sort of in his on-screen persona more than anything. So I could have done without him getting fired and all that stuff. If they had just jumped right into the plot, I think it would have worked less this movie. Absolutely. Less is always better with Clint. Hmm. Pale Rider or anything where like you don't know anything about him. He's just man there with he no is. name, right? Yeah, right. He's he's yeah. I I totally agree. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that music by I think it's Mark Mancia Mancina Mark Mancina really pretty gentle. I did not expect such a gentle kind of no pun intended breezy movie. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I had said to you earlier, it's too bad there's no Clint music, and you told me. That there, there he is. plays the piano on something. It's just yeah. him playing the piano. I, I don't know if it's in the. It's on the. I looked it up on the Spotify, and it's there on the soundtrack. You know, I so always did. He did record music for this movie, so that's great. I always love when he works on the score in some capacity. Me too. And um, right off the top, the beginning reminded me those shots from up above of uh, the beginning of Bronco Billy when they're playing barroom yeah. buddies. I think that's that's him singing with Merle Haggard. I think. Or I think it's Merle. I so, do not um, know that off the top of my head. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, where have Bronco, you been? Bronco, yeah, Bronco Billy was a blind spot for me until you recommended it. Now I you know, I like it a lot. So, have I ever really sent cool. you my, my Bronco Billy pages from my scrapbook? You should show no. me pictures of them. Oh, I've never I, seen them in person, yeah. Oh, but I sent you pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me hey, see man. them. I haven't seen the, I haven't I will gotten send the Bronco them Billy pictures. I will you know, send them tonight. It's just by coincidence to it's interesting to think about the script being written in 1970 
and sort of getting bought in 75. Just by coincidence, I very recently watched Pocket Money from 1972 with Lee Marvin and Paul Newman. Have either of you guys seen that? Script, no. Sure. Credit, no. Script credited on screen to Terry Malick. Terrence Malick is oh my Terrence. God. But it's about they go down to Mexico to bring up a herd of cattle and they're sort of enlisted by a sleazy uh, uh, rancher type cattle auctioneer to go down and get it. And so it's it's sort of um, has a similar kind of plot and it's like a, a buddy road comedy between Newman and and Lee Marvin, where everything gets fucked up and they're trying to, you know, it's it's about it's in its modern day. It's not set in the past. It's set in 72. And um, just like Dutch. Well, like this book, this book is, although the movie updates it to 79 and 80. Um, and it's the same. It's it was interesting to watch that movie and then think about because that movie is very uh, heavily um 70s american new hollywood style in terms of tempos and approach it's directed by stuart rosenberg uh and and has that sort of feel to it and it was interesting to watch this movie and sort of imagine if it had been made in the 70s what it would resemble and what kind of movies it would resemble because i think its tone and its rhythms are belong to a completely different era you know, and I think that that's a lot of people want it to be Eastwood coming out and doing the Eastwood thing. I mean, whatever the fuck that means, it's been it's been like 30 years since he's done what I mean. When do you have to go back to in the line of fire to find the last time he did like the straight cliche of Eastwood stuff? You know, it's been a very, very long time. And this movie, its rhythms uh, belong to a different era, I think you know, belong to mm. a completely different era. And I think people are projecting onto it a lot of the idea of what it of what an Eastwood movie is like in some way, you know. And I think if you you pause and you sort of think about the context in, when, in which it was written, it's easier to understand what it's trying to do and what it's trying to accomplish, for me at any rate. I can... No, that's, for, that's very interesting. And it, it, you're, when you look, put it that way, you think immediately it's almost like a sweet, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, like a sweet version. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I was telling somebody that, that Hewitt Large was like Taxi Driver, but directed by Frank Capra. Yeah. And and that's that. this would be like, okay, bring me the head, but really sweet and Disney-fied. I mean, that's, I don't mean that dies. as a put down. That's yeah. the thing too, I, nobody dies in this movie. Even Macho doesn't survive the book. He gets carried <laughs> oh. off by a vulture. So, no, that's yeah. a bummer, man. I don't want to see that. that right, who wanted booster. to see that? I was so worried about what was going to happen to Macho. Little Jerry. I also love the the kind of Clint Eastwood. A lot of older directors have this kind of uh, easy morality that I enjoy, where it's like, yeah, they're cockfighting. It's it's Mexico. Yeah. We're not going to spend a bunch of time moaning about that. These things happen. Let's move on. Yeah, and also, like, a kind of non-judgmental sort of attitude about, like, where he sees the giant house and is, says, why would he want to run? Why would he want to leave here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, completely. Did, you know what? It's funny with the cockfighting, though. You, my, my girlfriend said, Americans know that most Mexicans have never seen a cockfight, right? And I was like, yeah. I, I mean, I think most Americans know that. That that's something that's that's much more for the movies, you know. Just to bring but, another uh, War and Oates classic into the conversation. 
Right. No, we can't have too much Warren Oates in, in around. He could have easily played this part, right? Oh yeah, that would be yes. great. The the the, role, the the amount of roles I've thought if only Warren Oates were playing this part. I mean, it's more than every, any actor I think I've had that thought. Every movie's instantly better with Warren Oates in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's that's a funny observation on your girl's part, Chris. Um, it's funny. I don't know if people do. I wonder if they, you know how crazy the, the people think you know some of the things people ask me i won't repeat here before, you know bill you're yeah. latin so therefore <laughs> crazy question yeah um um but, uh, social club <laughs> every day <laughs> um they must um, think you like coffee that's no, a real uh that's they're a, not wrong <laughs> they're not wrong about that one uh and uh, and i want to recommend to you and all the listeners a little known frank sinatra song called the coffee song you will thank me okay uh, and, and 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 but that leads me to two things i wanted to say on a musical note about the movie one because he's uh, kind of a wonderful singer how great uh, i thought dwight yokum was terrific in the movie yeah is he he's... worked with clint before and i forgot I was thinking, I was trying to think, think and so. I couldn't think of it. He's somebody who's a consistently good actor, too. He's somebody I like in everything that I see him in, you know? Yeah, yeah usually playing, thankless. like, really stereotype, like, stereotypical, like, evil characters, like the one he plays in Sling Blade, you know? Or in Crank. So, yeah, he's so good as those characters. Or, or Panic Room, you know? He's, he's very good in those roles. But I was thinking, and I also, I sent John some music today, just that I was thinking about that the movie made me think about it, and I sent him... Um, you know, Springsteen always comes up when when, when we, we talk for some reason. And I was thinking of the video for Western Stars, where he plays an old, he's 70, he's 20 years younger than Clint. And he plays an <laughs> aging um, stuntman. Have you seen this video? No. It's cool because he really acts in it. And he plays this aging stuntman who's kind of shooting a Viagra commercial and, uh, you know, he got shot by John Wayne in a movie once. And that story's bought him free drinks pretty much his whole life. Yeah. And he's kind of, you know, he's kind of half like, well, it's been a shitty ride and I'm kind of shitty. or And half like, but I'm happy I'm alive. <laughs> I'm happy to yeah. still be in it. You know what I mean? And and then John said, you know, I feel like that whole Western Stars album could work in this movie because there's a very resigned olderness to it. It's an album that's inspired by those records that, like, say, Glenn Campbell made, or that kind of countrypolitan, California, Lee Hazel kind of thing. And this had a little of that, that it didn't dwell in that resigned space of, like, wow, I made some mistakes. I would have rather he just simply have been estranged from his wife and kid than that they were tragically killed. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's, then you... that's how it is in the book. I'm surprised that they changed it. It's just that his wife left him after he was injured i think i feel like, like it that. it would have even been better if there was no wife and kid if it was just a yeah. if he was fully a symbol of that kind of macho i don't settle down with any woman i'm a womanizer you know that a certain kind of like macho vision of what it means to be a man you know sort of divorced from family in that way but perhaps that's not macho the correct description of it but a it certain kind of macho yeah a certain kind of uh of masculine ideal in some way that once you've aged a certain amount, looks sort of curdled and, and gross. And that if you hold on to it too long, certainly it becomes an, un, an unpleasant 
thing to look at, you know. I don't think anybody the Rolling loves... Stone has gathered some moss after. Yeah, I just <laughs> I don't think anybody loves the eighty year old womanizer horny guy with no family. I don't think he's <laughs> like a yourself. Beloved, beloved community figure. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I guess yeah. We, we, I mean, no, I'm kidding. I kid. I kid. I kid. I mean everybody has that uh that crazy old uncle that lives in the uh, in the trailer has a treadmill and he's like, I'll be at the dance picking up. And there, right, in Miami, you, you, in Miami, you see that a lot. There's 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 some restaurants that you go in a happy hour and nobody's under eighty and everybody's on the make and you're like, this is bananas. <laughs> and um, but. So I'm moving to Miami to... in a couple of years, is what you're telling yeah. me. Well, I got the welcome map waiting for you, buddy. <laughs> I just want to say before we got too far away from Western Stars, uh, when you sent me that song, it was like, oh my God, yeah, I, that's a great connection. I think I told you last time I was up in Toronto, which I think about a lot because this is Toronto festival time that I'm missing out on right now. Um, I saw the documentary of Bruce performing in the barn you know, the, the barn that he customized to be a recording studio. And those songs were just so cinematic. It was ridiculous. I mean, they just resonated throughout the theater. And I could definitely have seen any of those songs in this movie. Any of them. Like, there's a song on there. I'm going to send Chris. Chris, I'll send you the video. You, will you watch it? Will you watch this video? Because it's really pretty. Of course. And it, it's got some gorgeous shots. It's got this El Camino driving through the desert. Could have been in this movie. Yeah, and uh, and and uh, Tom Zimney directed it, and um, the on the album there's things like hitchhiking or there's songs about like not being tied to anything, yeah. working hard to stay stoic and push back from people and the cost of that loneliness. It's heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff, and it's really orchestrated and very sort of like it's an artifact from the '70s, but just was made. Hey, much like the script, I guess it really they kind of matched, you know, a little bit with that. It's interesting. Let's talk, let's talk because last time we talked Clint Eastwood on here, we kind of discussed his style a little bit. And I just want to bring up two shots that really stuck with me from this movie for kind of opposite reasons. Early on, when we see he's panning across the wall, and we see the article with him, you know, getting thrown off of, or, or riding on the the horse and then getting uh, bucked off. And it cuts to this live action shot within the photo of him actually getting thrown off of the horse. And there's this kind of like unexpected kind of moment where, you know, it's nothing else in the movie is going to be that sort of magical realism introduced. And then later on, there's a shot where he's bunking down on the side of, you know, the road in Mexico all by himself. And it starts off as this absolutely gorgeous shot with him silhouetted against the, you know, the Mexican sky. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like slowly come down fade out of it the way you'd expect he just lies down like functionally just like that just so you know this is where the character is and now he's going to lie down uh kind of two opposite sort of things one where it's like he's really drawing attention to like the artistry of the shot another one where it's like i am not going to exploit the artistry of this particular shot i'm just going to like use it for a functional means but what do you think about the direction of this film compared to some of the more recent films you know he, he to me he's very economical he always does what's necessary um and i'm always impressed at how far it keeps coming like at when richard jules walking around the camp the, the site the olympic site looking for that bomb was, this is incredibly impressive like <laughs> 
it's just I'm impressed. And I'm impressed that when he doesn't need to do it, he just doesn't do it. And he's like, you know what? Why don't you walk into the frame, say the line, and walk out of the frame? <laughs> it's yeah, almost yeah. like like what what do we need to get this scene across? What struck me, two shots that struck me, of course, the the beautiful ones are the one where he's just lying down on the bed of the truck, that beautiful sky. Um, over him and then there's one where he's walking through this small Mexican town and you see kind of from it's a beautiful full shot of of his full body walking across the landscape it's very pretty very iconic and then he cuts to this interesting close-up about halfway through the movie that he's never done that angle before in the movie and he it's it's almost like he's not married to any one style he's just kind of figuring out what's going to work here to tell the scene and i thought he favored all the actors come off really well and that young man that plays uh, is it lucas no lucas is uh, Raphael. Raphael. Um, <laughs> I, I i messed that up um is that um is eduardo, that eduardo minette yeah I saw someone criticize his acting on on Twitter. I, I thought he was terrific. I thought he was super. I thought he was very innocent and kind of sweet. Yeah, it's, I didn't think he was great. I, I thought I didn't think he was bad. You know, I, I mean, I think I had the same feeling with a lot of the kid actors in Gran Torino, you know, where it seems like he made a kind of a choice to not let it be a Hollywood actor obviously he's probably someone who hasn't done too much acting what about in, in dutch <laughs> Com- compared to oh. ethan randall in dutch it's about as good let's say I, well it's funny shoulder. my my reaction to the kid and in fact everybody in this movie uh uh the the woman who plays the the cantina owner um marta yeah the, the using uh fernanda it um he doesn't surround himself with movie stars that it's really the Clint Eastwood show with this movie that that it's really he's the 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 star he's the only thing on screen he hasn't surrounded himself with a bunch of old pros and professionals and there's something very fascinating about that about being 91 having been around forever having been he's he's the last of the real movie stars i think that will ever exist you know, where just mm-hmm. like Clint Eastwood is a genre unto himself. You I know, I would say Raphael did a good job not being impressed being around Clint Eastwood. I wouldn't be able to act unimpressed. Yeah. You know? But it's but it but there's something very fascinating about him deciding I'm going to be the whole show here. That this is that this is the Clint Eastwood show in this movie, and it really is. You know, and I don't think that 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 uh, that uh, Eduardo Minette isn't given an opportunity to take over the movie. He's a side character. As important as he is, it's not like Dutch where Ed O'Neill and Ethan Embry are actually co-leads. He's the lead and the kid is there for part of it and Marta's there for part of it and Leda's there for part of it and Dwight Yoakam's there for part of it. But he's the guy, you know what I mean? And he's really not sharing screen time with a lot of, with a lot of these people. And I think it, again, points to what you're saying is that he dictates the rhythms of it in all ways that this is really Eastwood's movie completely in that way. And I think it's, I think it's, I don't think Eduardo Manette gives this amazing performance, but I'm, it's very interesting that late in this career, he takes on 
an inexperienced actor and puts them on screen with them and says, share the screen with me. That's a uh, really bold decision. It is bold, but I think I think the kid's fantastic. I, I thought everybody was on the same note. Uh, Natalia yeah. Tra- Travern, who plays Marta, everybody to me, and that's what's one of the things that works so well with his direction is that I don't know if I think stars would be distracting. I think stars yeah. would be weird, but everybody just comes in and they they're just perfect. Um, yeah, I don't mean I, that it's showy Clint Eastwood show where he's showing off. I mean, it's more just like there's no other actor who's like pulling away from him as the lodestar. It's what you're saying that other actors would be distracting in this role think, and somehow pull away from him. It feels like a totality in a whole based on the rhythms of 91 year old Clint Eastwood. 100%. And, 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 and so I, I thought it was very successful in that way. And, and one thing we talked about on the Richard Jewell episode was that it, and we talked to, Oh, was that subplot with the reporter? Is it too meh? And we, and I, I didn't feel it was so bad. I, I expected yeah. it to be much worse based on what I'd read. And I thought, well, it's okay. Um, but then we talked about how sometimes there's a subplot, even in something like a perfect world where they're goofing around in the trailer, then they cut yeah. back to the real movie. And then you got to this goofy stuff and that instinct. And here that instinct is pretty much gone except for, okay, a weird backstory uh, that maybe yeah. doesn't quite match the tone of the movie, a weird kind of prologue, but there's no cutting away to hijinks on the ranch as they try to plot yeah. where he is. It's very accepting of like, well, this is the story. They go, they leave that town and then they go back and then he goes back again. Yeah. It's very kind of minimal. Yes. Very minimal. Also talk, we're talking about the pro- prologue a lot. One thing I liked about it and that struck me early on is the, the, the texture of the season that it's in and you see the like it's filmed from above you see the muddiness of the pens that the horses are in the the it's either autumn or winter i don't i'm not super familiar with texas so i don't know what it looks like there but everything's wilted all of the leaves are brown you know and it's and it's not looking great it's looking old and run down the landscape there you know it looks like this whatever dwight yoakam's ranch and rodeo are they are past their prime you know so when you come in and you hear eastwood is not delivering prime horses anymore to him you know it all makes sense everything feels like that sort of run down aging it's it's gotten too old to be fixed anymore like what he says about the dog is i don't know how to cure old Right. When the one the sheriff's wife wants him to help the dog, he says, I don't know how to cure old. Right. It's it's that sort of thing where you can't fix this ranch up. It's just old. You can't fix Eastwood up. He's just old. You know, the trees, they're losing their leaves. You can't tape the leaves back on the trees at a certain point. This car is not going to run again. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It has that physical texture to it and the way that it's shot. And you don't see that filmed a lot. A lot of times when people go out to film, especially people from Hollywood, go out to film ranches and horses and animals. They want them to look as gorgeous as possible and film them in the prime of the year and hit them at, you know, the the magic hour all the time. And I think the way he emphasizes a little bit of the, it's not trashy, it's not beat up, it's just old, this ranch. You know, everything in this movie is just kind of old, you know? That might be my favorite thing that we've said today. I think that's right on. 
think that's the thing with the thing with the dog. I had it slipped, you know, I'd slipped in my mind to mention that. That is really the the movie right there, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I love this movie is very satisfying. It's a lot of Clint Eastwood gently petting animals, and it's weird <laughs> how satisfying it is to see him to just watch for like 20 seconds him petting a pig. You know, like there's something about it that's like that's like cutesy, like on Facebook, like an Internet. If somebody sent you like, look at this old guy petting his horse mm-hmm. and how much the horse likes it, you'd be like, oh, that's super sweet. This mm-hmm. movie has that tone mm-hmm. of like a TikTok video of the old man with the pig that loves him, you know, or the or the woman carrying her dog around and the dog's too old to walk anymore. It just has that that sort of irresistible gentle sweetness to it in all of the stuff with the animals well yeah i, I think, think that's that is, a, sorry go please ahead, john no please i was gonna say the yeah that um for me kind of excuses the things where it's like he's too old to break horses you know anymore that sort of instinctive in, inherent sort of you know reaction he has to a horse where he just seems like ah oh, this is something that i love to do you know, you kind of just feel that right away. So I feel that that's a good feel too. Another good feel is the just the aura of Marta. I don't know the actress's yeah. name, but a character that could Natalia easily be like Traven. A, Natalia Traven could be just like a, a a cheesy sort of you know the saintly grandmother character in this small town who was super nice, but she just immediately strikes this amazing presence in the movie that gives those scenes such an amazing warmness that I really enjoyed her on screen. <laughs> She's fabulous. And she really, and you really feel their thing that really comes across so much more than when he's paired up with actresses in recent films that I've seen. I thought that just blew me up, blew right off the screen. I thought that was beautiful. And I love what, uh, what you and Chris mentioned with the animals. Uh, it's true. Whenever he, the, just the way that he says people bring me with that cool kind of older voice that he has now, people bring me their animals and I care for them. And, it just yeah. sounds so sweet. Yeah. It sounds it, nothing like it, it, I just it sounded creepy. It I also love when, when they're says. when they're at the they're camping out by the campfire and Macho's just crawling all over him during the scene. And Eastwood doesn't have any sense of like uh, as an actor or director in that scene, like this this cock is ruining this take. He's just letting this animal crawl all over him that clearly likes him and he's petting it. And there's a weird affinity. It feels like he must have spent some time with this rooster. Clint's got a lot of qualities that I see in my my father <laughs> in a lot of ways. And whenever my dad like gets onto a topic that he really knows a lot about and enjoys talking about, that's like the kind of thing that I see in Clint in this movie, dealing with the animals and with macho and everything. So I definitely like that aspect of him. I like the performance too of the uh, pudgy deputy in the small yeah. town who you think is going to, you know, be a dick and turn them in or whatever. And then turns out has a little macho in himself, which is just, you know, to be cool and not and to, to risk his own career and, and maybe his own life, you know, defending uh, them when the federales come to look for him. I thought that was a really unexpected, uh, cool side character as well. As much as I agree, it's Clint's movie. Like I really like some of these, uh, uh, minor roles. I think I phrased that. that wrong to say it's it's his movie. No, no, no. I, I think did, I, absolutely, I absolutely agree with you that it is. Yeah, I didn't you know? mean it. I didn't mean it. It's not like showy. Like sometimes, I know what you mean. I know like you put Sean Penn in a movie, and it's just like the fucking Sean Penn show, and every shot is ninety five percent Sean Penn, 
acting the hell out of it and just like there's some blurry stuff in the periphery while Sean Penn waves his head around, you know? This is not what that is. That's not what I what I meant, you know? I got I got Sean, it. Sean Penn would love to star in a movie, I'm sure, with nothing but like cardboard cutouts of other actors that he can scream at you know what i mean yeah this, no but i've said it before no one directs clint better than clint you know and he knows not only how to tap into his best performance and his best instincts he knows how a movie just centers around his star persona and that's why i felt like this movie had that extra magical touch on me because everything is tailored to his performance and that's why i liked it so much i mean i love clint as an actor i think he is hugely underrated as an actor in general yeah in the past when he's won oscars for directing i thought he deserved it more for his performance than for the directing honestly i totally agree with that and i think you know he as an actor being in charge of his own image uh, the first time i became aware of it was around the unforgiven thing where the camera came up under him and he showed himself in such an iconic way I didn't feel Pale Rider was, I think it's cool, but I didn't feel it was completely successful. Maybe because I was waiting for that great music in the trailer to play. Yeah. That, yeah, that music <laughs> is so cool. It's from, and um, and so I was there with the name of played. And when I saw Unforgiven, I was like, oh my God, he's, he's in charge of his own image. It's not like another director is filming him that way. In the modern era, I can't think of another big star that was so in control of how he was presenting himself and knew how to present himself so well and i agree with what you all said i don't remember which of you said it that the movie is like the 19 the i'm 91 adjustment of that ethos yeah you know there's a certain way he presents himself in the 70s a certain way he does it in the 80s 90s and now at 91 yeah he's been directing himself for 50 years right and I think at the beginning, when you're talking about the earlier films, he has to kind of compromise a few things where, you know, he has to sort of respect Clint Eastwood, the the playboy or the James Bond adventurer or the, you know, the cowboy, the gritty cowboy, whatever it has to be. And it's, so it's been fascinating to watch those films progress throughout his career where it's come to what it is now, where, again, for 20 years, 30 years, he's been the old man out of his time, you know, and he's kind of just gotten better and better i think at like just building a film around that persona and not having to like compromise the way that he's supposed to be i mean you know sc 91 year old clint walk onto the screen and think oh man he better seduce some some ladies and start shooting some guys right away or i'm going to be going to call foul on this you know it's, it's its own thing so i really love that this movie is its own thing absolutely and i feel I, that way i feel like it sounds like i'm being because I started out talking about the age that I'm, I'm more critical of this movie than I am. This is a very enjoyable movie. This movie I like a lot. It's more actually, my problems with this movie are, I don't, I don't love this script particularly. You know, I feel like yeah. the script is almost an afterthought and that he figured out what movie he was going to make. And this was like the script was the closest thing he could find to doing this and working at this pace, you know, in some way, uh, yeah, that creating, makes sense. creating this thing. I think we talked about this, the mule episode too, where it's every time he makes a new movie, it's really incredible that he's making it to 91 and still like he's, he's had so many hits recently. Like this is not his career petering out like American sniper, Sully, the mule. These are all like 
big hits making hundreds of millions of dollars which is crazy to think about that that this late in your life in your 80s you can be making those kind of huge hits within the hollywood system and basically just doing it as you like what are those movies those are eastwood movies you know and having them be big hits and even things like the 1517 to paris uh, that makes a little bit of money. You know, Jersey Boys makes a little bit of money. They're not huge hits, but they, they make, and even Richard Jewell breaks even, you know? And it, and it is crazy to, to think about that he's going, getting to go out on his own terms, essentially, is something that's really fucking nuts. Like, I can't think of any star ever in any country that goes out on their own terms like this to the very last decade. It just doesn't happen, you know? That's very interesting. Um, Maybe I wonder Jean if... Gabin? I mean, but at the end, I'd, I'd have to look at, like, what the last 10 years of Jean Gabin's careers are. But there's, like, nobody to compare this to, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to punch me. Would Woody Allen be a fair comparison or no? I, well, I don't know if you describe it going out in its own terms at this point, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much his, his last They're few... still making movies. Are they making money? Are they still hits? That's a great point. That's a great point. I don't, because, I like, don't uh, know. And he's never been somebody who makes a bunch of $100 million hits. You know? Those are the qualifiers. You're right. Clint Eastwood is still a major star, major box office draw, someone that everybody knows and everybody talks about. It doesn't matter if he's 91 or yeah. 60 or 30 it's true so i'm going to retract that statement and say i see your point yeah um, i think i think i meant it has to, they had to have been as big as eastwood at some point and woody allen was never as big as eastwood or even, at or the even as big power. or even as big as eastwood now in the past yeah. 20 10 years the past 10 years those are all hits within the past 10 15 years so that's a really really good point do you think yeah. someone more comparable is robert redford who's also a director you know and i respect redford like i love this yeah. show i think it's an amazing movie um but even the old man and the gun which i think is the name of that movie uh he did feels in a weird way it just feels cut and paste in a weird way of like you know well we want to like send him off on like a movie that celebrates his star persona and the kind of films that he used to make but it doesn't feel like this is like this is exactly what redford wanted the way that chris is describing with clinton like it's not he's not in control you know that movie that movie is also making a third of what the 1517 to paris makes you know what i mean like these movies are just not as big i mean like Mm -hmm. i mean like eastwood is making the mules making almost 200 million dollars that's Eastwood that's, in 1981 type money. That's you know what I mean? bananas. That is yeah. bananas. And I, I have to agree. Yeah, no, Robert Redford, as much as one might like him, is definitely more on the footnote side. I'd put him right up there with Woody. Like people, some people remember who he was, that Jeremiah Johnson thing. People are like, it's the guy from the GIF. Well, if you think too, especially, you know, in the early and mid 90s is when he and Clint are like, becoming prestigious directors and getting like Oscar nominations and things like that. At the same time, they're kind of making that transition into really respected director as well as, you know, being a movie star. But I don't think that Redford saw it out anywhere near. Well, it's also like this movie, it's crazy. This movie had a $40 million budget, which is one of those, like, I love this movie, but like, where the fuck did that money go? <laughs> you know, like I, I could have made this movie for two hundred and fifty. You've obviously never you know? had to hire a, uh, a <laughs> Chilean telenovela actress before. They, 
They demand the big bucks. But, but or a rooster what, wrangler. But this is what rooster wrangler. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying is going out on his own terms. Nobody's giving Robert Redford forty million dollars to make a movie, let alone forty million dollars to make Cry Macho. You know what I mean? That's what I mean about going out on your own terms. Eastwood must have dictated to Warner Brothers, you're giving me this amount of money to make this movie because nothing on paper except for his track record of success says do this for this amount of money. You know what I mean? And that's like the testament of like people when they're at the height of their power can do that, you know, but like, you know. Your point is excellent because he has been at the center of the movies, the conversation about movies forever and continues to be continues yeah. to be all yeah. these movies richard jewell the mule this movie these movies are being talked about they're big movies they open you know like it's a big thing he's he's definitely doing something that really no one else has done That's every time a- i see the word malpaso come up on the big screen you know it's just like yeah. I, I say wow out loud you know it's just amazing that he's just been doing the clint thing for so long it's crazy man i remember seeing on christmas eve my buddy of mine and, and I went to go see Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. There's some little minor Clint, you know, doing some warbling and some singing, just doing his own thing, man. Those movies of that period, he always seems to be following his own muse. Definitely. I mean, whether it's Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil or, I mean, he is following his own muse. He's doing what he's interested in. That's amazing that he's been able to do that all this time. And it is unpredictable. You know, I think that a lot of people stay on top. You know, you know who else is going to go out on their own terms? The other comparable person that I don't can't believe didn't come to our heads. Spielberg. Spielberg and Eastwood are like the only two comparable at the top of their game the entire time. You know, and I think that that's I think for a lot of people that's obvious about Spielberg. But I don't think in their mind they put Eastwood on that same level of consistency and power. Well, they should. They even worked together, you know? Oh, did they? Yeah, for the two, did... war, the two war movies, uh, Flags of oh, Our Fathers and right. uh, Letters from Iwo Jima. That's right. I think what's interesting is that, you know, Clint's doing that, and then he's starring in the movies also. Yeah. It's just like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty intense. That's pretty intense. Um, it's also funny, yeah. as we, were, we were sitting here talking, the other thing I was thinking about is Eastwood's so good with the animals. He's obviously done a lot of horse stuff. I w- he, it would have been cool to see him do other movies with animals. And then I was like, holy shit, every which way but loose. Of course, one of his other giant <laughs> massive hits. You know, of course he's done I other was, animal movies. Clyde was the original macho. Right turn, Clyde. I was watching the trailer for Any Which Way You Can the other day. Yeah. And... Um, I remember seeing that what at the second run movie house two, three times. It's such a funny, weird, odd movie. Is it directed by Buddy Van Horn? Uh is yes. is eighty the eighty one? The second one? Yeah, it's Buddy Van Horn. Um it's got the the Ruth Gordon superimposed on Bo Derek's body. It's got it's just a wild, wild movie. And I love that he's always getting dumped by Sandra Locke. She keeps giving him the slip. <laughs> What's a girl yeah. to do? What's a girl What's to a girl? do? Um, um, it is because, funny because horses get getting brought up, and I forgot to say this, Bill. The shot where he's driving and the horses are running alongside him. You remember that oh shot? My God, so beautiful. That could be out of Western Stars. That I feel like that it exact is literally shot, out of Western Stars. Yeah, it's from Western Stars. Sorry. Yeah, I can't wait to send Chris that video. 
Um, I wonder if the art director or anybody brought that in and said, well, why not do something like this? Because <laughs> from my days in advertising, we'd always bring in mood boards and be like, we can make the that commercial look like this movie. Maybe now the movie looks like that video because that's a gorgeous looking video. Um, but also I was going to, I would love to see it. I was going to bring up every which way, but loose and the, in the context of thinking about that was, that was another movie where everybody told him not to make this. Everybody in the world was like, this is, he sort of had to force the studios and everyone involved to do it. Nobody wanted him to do it. And then it was one of his biggest hits. It might've been his biggest hit to date at that time. And I think that that's an interesting turning point in his career where a lot of stars have a sort of run that would last from about, you know, 64 with, you know, uh, a fistful of dollars to 78 with every which way, but loose. And then when they make their every which way, but loose and it bombs, everyone's like, we fucking told you. So you're washed up. Goodbye. But that, that didn't happen for him. He was sort of emboldened to follow his own ideas and sort of tell people to fuck off in a different way. Uh, than I think a lot of stars are able to do that. He had that very strange movie work out for him that he could kind of keep going and doing what he wanted to do that he it's sort of that moment when a lot of people get broken in Hollywood panned out for him in a funny way. When you talk about doing your own thing and every which way, but loose, and then I want to work backwards, you know, there's, there's no, that movie's not even, there's not even a genre for that movie. <laughs> what is it like a country and western broad comedy with action and an orangutan and i don't even barroom Gordon needed and, a driving test and motorcycle gangs and jeff joffrey lewis and um and then the sequel and it's, it's even like, more successful. it's like a live action disney movie from that era is the thing it's closest to it's like it should feature don not sitting on a pie you know you're not wrong that's a great way to put it and then he or never don did him again. a talking pie <laughs> <laughs> and then uh mr limpid reference and then he never does it again he does those two and that's that maybe pink cadillac could sort of be in there somewhere but that's it he takes joffrey they go off they do bronco billy um but he he's really doing his own thing and it goes right back to when he started directing with breezy and then yeah. play misty for me those are not movies anybody was expecting clint eastwood to make not at all and, the story I heard on uh, Every Which Way But Loose, maybe you guys have heard this, is that uh, he heard that uh, um, uh, somehow, I get, I don't know, it's a long, stupid story about Burt Reynolds and Sharky's Machine. Go, you guys go, ever heard go, that? go, go. No, you ever heard we that want story? to hear a long, stupid Just story that, about Burt Reynolds and Sharky's that, Machine. That, uh, that Burt saw that and said, are you going to do like a weird kind of good old boy, like, uh, you know, good times somebody's got a cb and there's no real plot and yeah. just kind of some action scenes some it's weird an underground comedy. fighting movie yeah, I yeah. Guess, country music yeah some weird country music is playing like are you gonna do like one of my movies go do the he's like, thing he's like i'm totally doing it and he's like screw you i'm gonna play like a cop in atlanta <laughs> and, and, and then hence Sharky's oh, that turned machine. out for Bert. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that that's a good one. I don't like some of the other ones. I like Sharky's Machine, even though there's some parts well, that are they, pretty cheesy. They must have made up pretty quick if they're doing City Heat. Like, a oh, I don't think they later. were. They weren't mad. Those guys are buddies. Oh, okay. You ever hear that story of them getting fired together from? Um, I think they were both Universal contract players. No. You ever heard that? 
Because no. I'm a lot, not a lot older, but at least 10 years older than you guys, I think. And so I got to see, you know, my dad took me to see every which way at the put loose at the Elks Lodge. They had a big benefit for the premiere. And I saw a lot of these things theatrically. And they were always on Barbara Walters. And they both told the same story. It was Bert, Clint, and someone else in the middle on the Barbara Walters special. They both told the same story of getting fired. Um, the lady, the casting director, took them off their contract at the studio, said uh, to Bert, you can't act. And to Clint, and you... Your Adam's apple sticks out too far. <laughs> and as they're, they're walking out and they're all dejected, and Bert was like, I can learn to act. You're going to have a hell of a time. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, I, yeah, City Heat is not a favorite of mine. I don't get that flick at all. Yeah, that's it's one of the good. few I've never seen. No, you haven't missed the thing. And yet, <laughs> Richard Benjamin made my favorite year, which is so much fun. Oh, big yeah. fan of that movie. Yeah, he's yeah. he's one of those directors I'm constantly trying to talk my myself into. Didn't Blake Edwards write the script for that? Am I making that up? That I don't know. He would have been great to direct it. It's it's just dark and weird. I love that you mentioned Stuart Rosenberg at the top of the show. There's an underrated guy. Yeah, yeah, mm. and him and, and it's it sort of looks so great on paper that movie. It's oh, it's Newman back with Stuart Rosenberg and Lee Marvin and uh, written by Terrence Malick and this sort of like grimy. Like, you know, the movie opens with uh, uh, Paul Newman's in trouble. His horses all get, he's brought up these, all these horses to auction and they're all quarantined at the border because they've all gotten gonorrhea somehow. So it's like his horses are quarantined. So he just needs immediate money uh, for the six weeks because all the horses have gonorrhea that he's brought up this entire herd. It's got this kind of like very sleazy 70s Hollywood tone to it. It's just not so great, weird that it's nobody, just not yeah, it's, it's so weird that nobody knows it. Did we bring it up on our prime cut episode as like a weird one that never gets brought up? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. For some reason, I've been talking about that movie way too much. I think it's because I because <laughs> I watched it and and, and the pocket, Truffaut movie. Yeah. And pocket yeah. money within like a week of each other. Truffaut's movie pocket money had to change its title to small change for the U.S. release because of uh, because of the the one we're talking Rosenberg. about, the Rosenberg movie. Right. And, but, uh, and Spielberg suggested the title Small Change because they were on but, uh, Close Encounters. That is such a much better title. I cannot even describe it to you. Yeah, Small Change? <laughs> yeah, Small I Change agree. is a great title. Yeah, especially because um, it's about kids and like them living their lives and those kind of much, small changes. Much better. Thank you, Steven Spielberg. You know what you're doing. <laughs> um, this kid Spielberg is going to do okay. He's doing all right. He's okay. Um, the Clint scene is so interesting, you know, when you think about the films they did in that period where we talked about Honky Tonk Man, he's so just following. He said, that's got like Firefox, Honky Tonk Man, and like two Bronco Billy. Those are all like within three, four years. And they're all so different. He makes so many he, movies. And then he does time. Bird like right after right. that, right? Which exactly. is Which is to me when he really becomes modern Eastwood. Where he really says, "I'm I'm going to really do what I personally am interested in, not even what I think will work, but like I'm interested in doing this, so I'm going to do it." You know, and I think that movie, I, I really like Bird a lot. I, I think it's even awesome. now it, it catches people off guard, and then he does go like immediately into he's doing White Hunter, White Black, Hunter Black Heart, Heart. and uh, and then Unforgiven, like right after that. You know, I think he just decides to be the modern Eastwood, you know, modern era, late period Eastwood. Listen, Chris, I know you're on a mission to make to make the rookie not exist, but it exists, my friend. <laughs> Sorry. 
Well, but it's he doesn't direct the, the rookie. He's still yes, doing he like... does. He directed yeah, he the rookie. Oh yeah, he, he did. When he, I, I kind of let it slide at the top there when you said, "Well, he's not going to do that." No. Oh, <laughs> I was thought. I always think that one's like a pink Cadillac, like the sort of last of the ones he's just acting in. You know, uh, even though obviously in the line of fire is is right around that same you know, time. The, the rookie's too. one of those weird Firefox type movies that he does, but he directs, and you're like, "Oh yeah, he was the one That's who made right. that movie." Now, as much as a big fan of his as I am, the one that I don't like, the one I have beef with, the one I get Ooh, like as you yeah. as you guys said, like you know, like Quaid when they're trying to stick him back in the machine at recall. I think that's my favorite <laughs> description of anything that you're averse to that John Coyne um, is in the line of fire. No way. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. I just none watched it. it. I'll I have was, none of it. I was at a hotel. I was staying at a hotel recently. It was on TV, and I watched it from stop to start. And I was like, I remembered loving this when I saw it when I was 14. And I watched it this time and I was like, this sucks. It like, sucks, man. Yeah. It's a, you, Wolfgang you know Peterson, it's just, it's by the book, by the numbers. What's that, John? I was going to say, you know, it is not age well at all. Is like, you know, the hero and the villain talking on a phone for the entire length of the film movies. There were so many of them at that time. Although I do love the line. I always think about it a lot. Sounds to me like. You got to get laid, boo. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't remember that line. I was always very pleased at the shot of Kind of Blue from Miles Davis. I was like, that probably sold a lot of Miles Davis CDs. It's a great record. There you go. Um, so there's things to like, of course. Um, but I, 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 uh, I never saw Absolute Power, but I, I'm interested in it. It's not great. I would say that, that period, the like, the like, it actually post-perfect world through like mystic river it's blood it's work all, yeah blood work space cowboys true crime, true crime. Like, i know good and evil he's got a lot of misses in that era you know although it bridges madison county is but, in there which is one that i suspect yeah. you don't like bill but i enjoy quite a bit what why do you think i don't like it i don't know i don't know i mean how you dare just, you sir you you hate meryl streep so much no i'm just kidding no man, I I, I wanted to see that, that Ricky movie. Flash movie. What, what is it, Bridges? Of course, I think it's a gorgeous movie, man. It's like I'm like, get out of the car, get out of the car. It's a heart tugging. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. Don't take so romantic, Chris. You know, I guess I, I don't. I guess I don't mean Perfect World. I guess I mean it's like after Bridges of Madison <laughs> County, he's sort of flailing around a little, trying to figure out. What he makes deal. a bunch of B minus C plus type movies that but are all sort of none were all, terrible though. They're all like very paperback airport novel like yeah. absolute power and and blood work and even space cowboys. They're all sort of uh, uh, paperback novel. But just to bring it back to Cry Macho, that was actually one thing I was thinking about when watching it is that he doesn't do the space cowboys thing of here's me and a bunch of other guys my age getting the boys together in some way there is there is a generosity to cry macho to extend it to younger unknown actors that feels like artistic generosity rather than just trying to play the hits you know he's not trying to be ario speedwagon at the county fair you know that's that's like one of the only times he really does the like you know shut up and play the hits tour kind of thing about like we'll get all these guys together and and be exactly what people want us to be in that way i i legitimately don't think cry macho feels like any other movie he's made i agree with that it's that different from the kind of things he does while it still feels like feels like a clint movie it just it feels like its own thing so much it maybe has more in common with breezy and those early movies 
Yeah. Could be. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Breezy is the closest comparison, I think, isn't it? It might be. It's definitely a gentle, like, observant little movie. It has some moments, but then it's two people. It's it's just a guy kind of submitting a little bit to being nice, <laughs> which is yeah. a strange thing to do in a movie, but that's what it's about. Yes, it's interesting to like think about an early movie like that, that he made that's about an old man, you know, right. feeling feeling old, not just, you know, physically old but like out of your time you know and feeling kind of ridiculous for being in the relate in a relationship with this younger person who is so naturally you know enmeshed in the, the culture of the times and just feeling that more pathetic for it it's interesting oh, to think that he made that movie with such like, young eyes you know it's his second his second feature one thing that, that, that does not first. work for me in cry macho Play Misty. Art, is the uh is the hippies crossing the border Bad, bad costuming and cry macho. Bad, bad costuming. Well, I just thought we were going to see them again, and uh, we never did. It seemed like a lot, and then we never see them. Not to jump off Breezy too quick. Breezy is also interesting because it does feel like, again, Play Misty for me, the reaction to that movie um, was, was quite violently negative from some critics. And Breezy is fascinating because it seems like not necessarily a do-over, but a an expression of whatever you think I am, you're misunderstanding me to some extent. And even Cry Macho feels like that again, of like whatever you thought a Clint Eastwood movie called Cry Macho about, you know, breaking horses is gonna be, I, I'm not that. I'm not exactly what you think I am. And I think that's a cunning thread throughout his career. Absolutely. And it's and it's more than just not, you know whatever you think it is when a person that's perceived the way I'm perceived is going into Mexico to bring someone out and yeah. all that, mm-hmm. that says, and you know, we know everything that, that's gone in the country. I kept thinking of the last Rambo movie, you know, where he goes yeah. into Mexico to get this girl back and uh, she's with a cartel. And, and I, I kept thinking, that's why I kept subverting. I was like, okay, now it's the scene where, Oh no, that's not her. Oh, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And, you know, um, it was nothing like that Rambo movie at all. And I have to point out, I haven't had an opportunity to say it. Someone was saying, like, it's a super racist movie because all the, you know, villains were Mexican. And I was like, but it takes place in Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Where? What? You know, whether I liked it or not, or I thought it was too violent, or I thought whatever, you know, too violent for me, not too violent in the eyes of world i don't care about that stuff but whatever i thought of the movie i was like who would the bad guys be also the good guys that all help him are also mexican so i was like what (laughs) um but um but to get back to this john arminio about uh, live and let die where his criticism was all the bad guys are black guys and i said well he's got he's got a a sidekick who's a, a black guy he's like so one i went He's got two, to be fair. <laughs> two, and it's it does take place in that milieu. So you yeah. know what are you going to do? You know, yeah, and it's um, only only two hundred percent less racist than the Ian Fleming books. So anyway, goodness gracious, yes. But I think that there's that's you know apart from the 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 uh, uh, Fernanda character Leda that we've harped on, I think enough, which is a very minor part of the movie. I don't think this movie really uh, has a huge amount of offensive caricature and cliche and that sort of thing in it. 
but it does, it's, it's not, it's not about like, oh, Mexicans as this other, you know, in this, this group. And he's sort of transversing to uh, traversing to a world that has nothing to do with them. It's sort of, he realizes that that's where he's meant to be in a way that's not forced or cheesy or strange that 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 should be the life he's leading and that he's very comfortable there and sort of improbably finds himself definitely it's a lot like the mule in that respect yeah and to the rhythms of this very small town that that in this very small life in this very sort of miniature existence that he's able to carve out for himself and i in fact love uh, we, I talked about him with the animals, him interacting with the children is all great in this movie. And there's a lot of unguarded moments where the kids are just doing various things in the film that I think are very real and nice feeling, not to hark back to Truffaut, but actually sort of Truffaut-ish depiction of, of kids in a few shots in this movie. It's not well, to overstate it, but like, you know. Well, it's, it's funny because when you're watching this particular movie, at least when I did, my thought was, you know, I was getting... I was getting immersed by the way it was made, but there were, I couldn't help noticing, you know, the kind of little faults of the story and things like that. And my thought was, so, so he knows sign language and presumably Marta would know sign language with the granddaughter. Why can't they communicate through sign language? Uh, because the point uh, you realize, of course, is they're communicating in their own way already. They don't need the sign language. You know, they have their own kind of. I guess, you know, it's always this late in it at 91. It always feels like, is this the last one? Is this the last one? Your predictions, does this does this feel like the last one to you? Or does it feel like he's still going? You I've know? been saying, is this the last one since Million Dollar Baby, though? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. There's something about this one to me, though. And this is always a dumb projection. I'm sure he has something else in production already. Yeah. But it does feel to me like he's trying to end it on this note. More so know? than Richard Jewell or Sully or, you know, G. Yeah. Edgar or something. It's definitely has more of a swan song kind of feel to it. I agree. What it do you felt, think, Phil? It felt like the mule was trying to do that and then it wasn't over, you know? So I wonder if he's going to keep making these movies that feel that way. Yeah, in our episode, think? I probably said something to the extent of him in the him gardening in the prison and the mule is a great final shot for Clint, you know? <laughs> what do you think, Phil? <laughs> You know, I think that's obviously there. If you guys are seeing that, it's obviously there. I try not to think about it because I get so bummed out. I get weird about older people and, you know, people in the movies that aren't going to be around anymore. And I get so wigged out that I never think about it. But I think if you look for it, it's probably there. I just tried to experience it as like, hey, here's this cool movie and this is what happens in this cool movie and not like, this is my swan song. But the things you mentioned, you know, hey, that'd be a gorgeous last shot. Dancing in Mexico to Sabor a Mi. Yes, Aidi Gourmet and Trio Los Panchos. It's a, it's a mix of American and Mexican culture. It's quite beautiful. It'd be a beautiful coda. I don't think, speaking pragmatically, that a guy like that ever slows down for a second. He's probably, I would imagine, he's hey getting ready to do the next thing already or if he's not already shooting yeah. you know um but i what do i know i just i know i never think about that because i love these movie stars so much and then it's i don't like these think think about mortality in any way because i'm a stupid well, Pollyanna. yeah, yeah but, no, that no, he but... Might, that he might intentionally hang up his career as an actor with this one you know he might make five or six more 
movies with other actors, but like he might think this is the way I would like to go out my as a movie star. Possibly. You know, um, it's funny you talking about movie stars getting old, Bill, and and you don't like to think about it. You know, my my one of my favorite. She's not my favorite of the main ones, but of like the secondary musical stars, Jane Powell from Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Royal Wedding and stuff, passed away this week. Right? Oh, she sorry. was she was ninety two. I mean, think about that. We're talking about somebody who's the same age as the guy we're talking about here. One year off, and she's from the golden age 50s MGM musical era, and she's the same age as this guy that we're talking about making new movies in in 2001. And it's crazy to think about, you know, when I saw Jane Powell passed away, I was like, well, she's 92. She had a great run, but she hadn't done anything in Hollywood for 50 years, you know? And I think that my, what I'm trying to say a little bit is, you know, I'll obviously be bummed out when Eastwood is gone, but also he's had a miraculously incredible run and that his contemporaries are people who were in, you know, who were in uh, uh, movies directed by Norman Torog in 1950. You know what I mean? Just like his contemporaries didn't get one quarter as much of him, you know, just like he is, he is, you know, maybe you're right. He is like the last bit of like Hollywood, what it means, what Hollywood meant for so long. I think he's like the last example of that still hanging around. And when he's gone, you're right. I guess, I guess that is really going to be gone. That is really going to be gone. You know, it's a, yeah, that bums me out. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to give you a pep talk, but then as I talked through it, I was like, shit, no man, it sucks. No, but to be so iconic and to have left such an, you know, uh, indelible, you know, image in in cinema. It's like Belmondo, where you know I don't think we could name a Belmondo movie from the last twenty or thirty years, and they certainly didn't make a splash anywhere. But you know, the we, remake of Magnet of Doom, exactly. We, but we remember, you know, the, the, the smirkin, you know, goofy Belmondo, you know, that everybody remembers. You know, it's the same with Clint, except that he is still making art that is beautiful you know and he's still pressing on and that's just miraculous so i think you know when it is finally time for this western star to you know write off i can't i don't know if i can feel sad about it because there's just so much greatness that he's gonna have left behind and maybe you're right yeah. too that i shouldn't think about it that it is a little ghoulish to constantly be waiting for the end with him and that i should just you know just hope they keep coming and not even think about the moment when they stop. Maybe that is the right way to do it. For me, it's just, um, I like what John said and I love what you said too, because you're right to observe it that way. As in, uh, they make art, so they expect us to appreciate it as art. I don't think that's, it's, that's definitely within bounds of what the artist wants you to think about. He, and he understands so well all that imagery that he's playing with. And John, you're right. It'd be a cool way for them to ride into the, to the sunset. It's beautiful stuff. I always just think of the personality of the a guy like this, so driven. Yeah, yeah. My, you just think you about know, like, what other role is he going to find? We're we're already complaining that you know he's he's he looks too old to play this character who's an old man. You know, <laughs> so how many more like roles is he going to find where it's like this is acceptable to be ninety five years old and playing this particular character? He might just have a better right sense of you know this is the good place to leave it. 
Maybe you guys are right. I, I, I always think people just they just go on till yeah. till till they go on, you know. Until they can't do it. I mean, at least old Hollywood stars they seem to like just go and go and go. And I, I kinda I kinda love it. I kinda love it. I always feel bad for you know, but when people can't I remember did you ever see Paul Mazursky was doing that talk show on YouTube? Did you ever no. see that? Paul you know, I love Paul Mazursky and he couldn't get a movie going and so I guess he was like, I'll do a talk show in my living room and I'll put yeah. it on YouTube. And you mm-hmm. can see it. And he's like, I'll invite Leonard Nimoy over or Mel Brooks. And it's just him in his living room just talking. People want to work, you know. And then yeah. friends of mine that are older, that are in the business, they want to work. And they're like writing screenplays and they just want to work. They want to work. Their hair, their health can be failing, but they want to work. It's such a great business that we all want to be in. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in it, I think but, it takes a special kind of guy to be like, I'm going to retire gracefully. Yeah. Yeah, but there's just so much in making a movie. I mean, so much blood and sweat and spirit that gets, you know, stripped from you when you're making a movie. I, I'm thinking actually the most comparable person to Eastwood is probably someone like Fred Wiseman, whose movies just get more ambitious and amazing every year so as he gets amazing. older. You know? So amazing. Yeah, I can't imagine having that kind of energy for that long to, you know, be Stug. making movies for six, seven decades and still having that same passion for it and still wanting That's, to go out there and like chase it is just I, unbelievable. I mean, this is this is yeah, this is what I'm saying. This is my point is that he's still doing it is fucking miraculous. Yeah. You know, and I do feel like annoyed with some of the reaction to this movie just being like, can't you appreciate like you are, you know what I mean? Like you're witnessing you know, the, you're witnessing Ted Williams hitting streak. Like this is never going to fucking happen again. You know, just like have some appreciation for the statistical miracle of what you're fucking witnessing. You know, I think what happens is we're living in a time where the thing that whatever the thing is that you're looking at, it should fill you with awe and the sense of like, wow, it's more people are more like, oh, what pithy thing can I write that will give me like some sort of hug for five minutes from some strangers yeah. Than actually experiencing any kind of human reaction. What to what joke can I be I one seen. of five hundred people? Can I put in everybody's Twitter timeline that they'll see five hundred times today? Because everybody just made the same joke about whatever the hell it is. You know. I, I, my buddy was saying, and he and I worked on an early um, campaign, uh, internet campaign, and he was saying, like, I just didn't know everybody needed a hug all day. Yeah, (laughs) we didn't know we're like is there any way for people to interact here with the brand at all they can make a comment oh that's very hard we don't think we'd be able to do that maybe they could just leave their comment there oh no the the company you're working for was hugs or us though you know man we didn't know it was going to take off like that did not know everybody needed a hug all the time about how clever they were But well, yeah, they'd rather not have the experience. But the experience is there to be had, and it's gorgeous. It's yeah. nature, it's music, it's acting, it's it's the it's animals, kind of, it's the it's, sweetness, it's the gentleness, it's the lack of urgency. To watch a movie with this lack of urgency is beautiful, you know. And they keep sidestepping the urgency. The urgency yeah. comes in, and they're like, "Let's just go around the other way. I'll walk behind this crate." Yeah. I walk very slowly behind this crate. It's it is. It's fucking it's, great. It's creating something as ethereal as the aura of Marta, or like you said, Chris, holding the dog that can't walk anymore. There's just moments that are just you won't find it. You know, 
anything else. Absolutely. It's great. Thank you for doing the episode, Bill. Uh, you're the only guy we want to talk Eastwood with, obviously. And so if he's got another one coming out, we'll have you on for that one as well, man. And if not, let's go backwards. Let's do the whole <laughs> whole filmography going backwards. I'm going to do this every week. I'll we'll go back day. and we'll hit the mule again. <laughs> then we'll go I all would the do way it back to uh, Return of the Creature, all the way to the beginning. <laughs> I'd be thrilled. I love talking with you guys, and I love talking to Clint Eastwood with you guys, and I love that he's out there making movies. This movie was beautiful. And you guys are beautiful. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much, Bill. Have a good night. Thanks, Bill. You guys, too. Thank you. Sweetheart. Just like old Clint. <laughs>